The Chazanish commenting on Yeshivas, commenting on Yeshiva, he said the following statement. He said it's Matzil as Rabbin, it saves the masses, and it kills the individual. That's the brilliant statement the Chazanish said on Yeshivas. It saves the masses and kills the individual. The hardest part about a yeshiva that cares about the individual is there's so many levels and there's so many different needs. If everybody's on the exact same level, so everything's easy. Because there's so many needs, it's much more complex. I always say we have here 190 yeshivas. Don't have one yeshiva. One of the things that happen late, happens late in the year, if you have, if you have a family, you have 15 kids, and 14 of your kids are doing unbelievably, and one is definitely sick, but 14 are healthy, you certainly have a tremendous happiness inside of you, but you have a sadness that's unbelievable sadness for the one who's sick. My father once had, my father once had a group of girls, of brilliant girls, they were all college girls, and they were interested in Yiddishkeit. I was a youngster, and my father told them that he, he likes psychology, and he told them any single thing in psychology that is good is in Shas. And you could tell me any principle in psychology, I'll tell you where it is in Shas. Or it's junk. If it's not in Shas, it's garbage. If it's good, it's in Shas. So, the, one of the girls said a, said a principle in psychology she said the principle I don't remember, I don't remember the, I was a youngster it was something about the dual what? yeah they were in college for psychology and they spoke about anything good in psychology is in chess everything all is in chess so anything that comes up any topic there was some raging debate my father was learning over this Pesach and some raging debate which he was disinterested because he's interested in Torah and there two people were arguing about something and I just I was watching and, and they're arguing then I realized to get my father into it I said they're arguing this way that way he's not in, he's interested in the Torah so I said to him they're arguing about this What's, what does it say in Shas about it and then he brought us a source and Shas about their conversation. He brought us the Rayas and Shas. What, what, what matters is what does the Chazal say about it? So the, the girls spoke about some principle in psychology, I do not, don't know what it's called, that a person is capable of two emotions. You could actually be happy and sad at the same time. I'm happy about this and sad about that. We're possibility of two emotions at once. I do not know what it's called in psychology. And my father brought Rayas and Shas. I remember he said when somebody loses a loved one and they have an inheritance, you make two brachas. You say Dayana MS, but you make a Dayana MS for the loss, but there's a part of you that's happy about the inheritance. It sounds disgusting. You won a million dollars, but you lost the, Now, certainly the person does not want to lose that parent, and predominantly you said, but there is a part of them that's happy. They got a million dollars. Chazal recognized that part. That's a practical thing. The guy has money. And a human being is capable of dual emotions. I always say very young people are not capable of dual emotions. You ask a very immature Bachar, how was the speech? It was boring. You ask a sophisticated Bachar, how was the speech? It was boring, it was very informative. Which means I was bored, but I actually liked it. 
how was davening Yom Kippur? A very immature person. It was just long and boring. A more sophisticated, it was long and boring, but I actually, there were things I got from it. There were good moments. There was something, it was very special. Special and boring. It's possible that it has aspects to it that, that are positive aspects. The more sophisticated is, is capable of a dual ra- a range of emotions. That it's not just one thing. It was terrible. It was actually, it was interesting. It was a learning experience. It was, that it's capable of more of a dual a range of emotions. So, is it because he's not honest with himself, or he just hasn't developed? He's just able to focus on one thing, or he's just not being honest with himself? Like, it's a good shine. I don't want. I, I want to get to the Indian I'm getting to. It's a good shine. It's a good shine. The kids are at is, is that. If every single person, so I'm, I'm talking about a family that a person has many children, and there are many that they're, he's very very happy of four things his kids are doing. One is struggling, makes a sadness, and that's a reality. It doesn't mitigate the happiness for the fourteen. He's flying over the fourteen success, but he has a tremendous sour over this one kid's struggle. In the yeshiva at this point of the year, there's unbelievable celebration. We have the yeshiva. I was thinking about Shabbos. We had a matzav shalashud. This was the haven. It was elevated, what was going on there. It was just a beautiful matzav. We were learning Torah together. Gorgeous matzav of Aliyah. And Shabbos afternoon, what's going on in Yeshiva Revolution? Welcome without any incentive. What a kiddush Shemayim. A guy is sitting and learning two hours, three hours, four hours, ten minutes with zero incentive, with zero, nothing. Just I want to learn Torah. I want to I wanna connect Hashem. I want to learn His Torah. Unbelievable kiddush Shemayim going on here. And certainly this tremendous celebration, the last five and a half weeks of Yeshiva, unbelievable celebration, Azayur and Bedima, those that plant with tears, with great joy they harvest, and it's tremendous matzav of harvest. I was talking to one of the B'nai Torah in this year, somebody who's grown marvelously in a beautiful way yesterday, who was expressing his concern for other Bachram. I was supposed to be concerned, he was expressing concern for other Bachram, I was just having such hanah how much this bacher cared. How much he cared, how much he's grown, how sophisticated he was, worrying for his chaverim, worrying for younger bacherim. I was so moved how much this bacher has grown. So there's tremendous celebration in yeshiva. Good call, Shmaya. There's tremendous celebration. <laughs> he figured out that his love is There's tremendous room, Rabbi, of celebration, and celebrate we will. It's going to be Bezer Hashem as soon as music's allowed. After Lag Boimer, we have Siyumim. This year's very short window of Siyumim with music. We don't know if we have to get in some before. We may do some with just and have to be creative because to get music, we're not going to do music in Yeshiva till after Lag Boimer. From Lag Boimer to the end of the year, Issachar called three weeks. No exaggeration. Literal, literal three weeks. There's right now five and a half weeks left. And two and a half weeks is not one minute. No, 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 no,
Makala Russian Harm. The bottom <laughs> Trust me, I want to be with you, Jake. But the bottom line is, if I say, is we will celebrate. But the but is the but is that with the train that's soared, there are guys, there are Bachman that are struggling. There are guys that that haven't gotten it together, that haven't figured it out, and that becomes it becomes even a more stark reality as you see people soaring and growing tremendously. There are people left behind, and it just becomes stronger and starker. As people are steiging, it becomes more and more apparent somebody's left behind. He's not doing it. He can't figure things out. He can't get things together. And the reality is that you can't ignore that. You can't either allow that sadness not to allow you to celebrate the happiness. You're not allowed to do that. Gedolim, I'm always awed, are faced with tremendous sorrows of Klai Yisrael. People go in day and night, and I'm awed that they're still able to celebrate happy things. I went to Reb Chaim Brim, one of the greatest people in Klai Yisrael. I told him my aunt was sick. He started crying, I promise you, in front of me. There's a man who's not trying to prove anything to me. One of the happiest human beings I ever met in my life. I t- went to tell him how sick my aunt was. I told him a little about her, and he started crying in front of me. Started just crying. Unbelievably, he started crying. I see in my father, if I tell him anything, to Davin, Abacha's father is sick, I told him. My father started crying. My father was not like this very emotional person by nature. I think he's a very Tyredika person, and the Tyre creates great people. So you tell him about another yid. He's learned Tyre for his whole life. Since he's 15, 14, he made a decision to learn. He shut off the TV that was in his bedroom. Decided he's going to learn Torah, and he hasn't stopped. So you tell him about somebody a year going through something, he starts crying. Just hits him. He's a real person. You tell him about a year going through Torah, he starts crying. That's what he does today. So I'm amazed they're able to celebrate the happy things. They have a lot on their shoulders. But big people have the capacity to have a range of emotions. To feel the tsar of somebody going through tsar, yet still to have the capacity to celebrate the joys. To find that depth inside them, to find... There's a line in the Nefesh HaChayim where he says big people can go they go from room to room. They can leave one room and go to another room. It's one of my favorite psukim in the Torah. It says about Avram Avinu, He got up from in front of the dead body, his wife, his precious, precious wife. We can't fathom the Ava that Avram Avinu had for his wife. We can't fathom it because it, it, a person like that with the Midas of Avram Avinu. I told the guys what, 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 what Yehuda Gruber told me at the Rambam. The Rambam wrote he had such a relationship to his brother that for seven years he was dysfunctional after his brother was Nifter. It, it speaks about the Rambam's Kesher to a brother we can't fathom. So Avram Avinu's Kesher to Sarah is beyond our imagination. Yet the Torah says he got up from the dead body and he spoke to Bnei Ches. He spoke to the people he was trying to acquire a burial plot. So it always bothered me. Why did the Torah say he got up from the dead body? What do I think he was carrying around her dead body? Just say he spoke to Bnei Ches. I'm a very visual learner. Like the Torah is describing me so, so, um, so detailed. Not the style of the Torah I picture. He left the dead body. What does that say that for him? What do you bring that for? Just say he went to find her a burial place. But of course, Avram Avinu was speaking to other people. They don't deserve to feel that sadness. 
So for their sake, he left the dead body. He went to a different room. He had that depth in him when he's speaking to them to, to exude a good feeling, a warmth. To exude a good feeling, that's what he did and had the capacity to do. So, so this is an important midah for somebody to have, that he asked, it, it shouldn't mar the simcha. I remember once that I went, I was asked to speak at an event of a yeshiva, a yeshiva at an event, and I was asked to speak there. And I came to speak, the Rebbe was all down, and he was bugged out noticeably, and every, it ruined the event. He was all bugged out that some bachim didn't come to this event. And he was stewing and upset and not enjoying the event. I thought to myself, it's so tragic. It's true, it's sad those bachim didn't come. But why is he ruining it for the guys who did come? Why isn't he, why isn't he celebrating who is there? And it hurt the whole event that he didn't have this capacity. He was a little immature, this person. And he didn't have this capacity to put aside his frustration for who wasn't there and to celebrate who was there. And the bachim needed that. You picture the event. It was like hurting the event. He's sitting there stewing on the guys who aren't there. And it hurt the quality of the event. Why are the guys who are there, Meshub, they're guys who are here. Bring it. Bring a joy, a celebration. They're at a great event. He ruined, he marred the event, so we try to fix things up. But he definitely damaged an event because he wasn't capable of a range of emotions. He couldn't do it, Abraham Avinu did. He couldn't emotionally leave the mace and do what he had to do. He couldn't do that. He was stuck, locked. Instead of having that great strength that great people have, to focus, just, it's true, it's tragic, and it doesn't take away from the tragedy. But there's also the focus because they're, they're, they're back from here. Isn't that exciting? So this is always the job. The celebration, Mitzad Echad, the great celebration of the good. Mitzad Shani, not ignoring what's, what, what's necessary, what, what, what's dangerous. Focus. We have an ability, when a person has something sad on his mind, say, how am I supposed to function? How am I supposed to learn? You don't deny it. You validate it. It's sad. And I, you always tell yourself, I will focus on that. If somebody has something bad on his mind. What you tell yourself before you sit down to learn. I am going to learn and focus on learning. I have a very good thing. I have a good chavrusa. I have something I like. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to get right now. I want to focus on this. Right? It's not so easy. He has so much. It's actually, there's a famous song the Chaznish used to sing that Hashem says to his Hashem says to his malachim, to his angels chazu banai chavivai look at my precious children they forget their own sorrows, their own difficulties and their oisik and they toil in my delight they, they have that capacity to forget the difficulties and to focus on them so this is something everybody needs to do lemaisa lemaisa I am thinking about Bakram struggling. And certainly much has to be done for a guy who's struggling, it's frightening. I just was in the office, I was a little late, I asked Mechila, but I overland and I were, 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 were watching something that somebody told us to watch, that the FBI put out, we want to show some Bakram struggling. It shook me to the core, it, to describe it, you, maybe once you'll see it from the FBI on, on abuse, on people who divert and what it does to them. Frightening. Rai Bender said this publicly. There's a stat. We got a text from somebody who deals a lot of kids in Klaistrom that since January, 22 Jewish teenagers died of drug overdose. 22. That's a fact. 22 kids died of 
died of drug overdose since January. Twenty-two kids. Yes, yes. That is a. I got a. I got a. I got a. I got a phone call a few weeks ago from a yid in Muncie. A phone call said, "I don't know you. You don't know me, but I know you're involved. You're. I, I know that you teach Torah to teenagers." He said, "I'm just coming back from a Torah on a kid, a wonderful kid. I'm coming back. I did the Torah on his body. I am shaken. I can't function." I got a call a few weeks ago. I'm on the way back from a tire. I just have to do something. I'm not functional. I just did a tire on a teenager, a wonderful boy. He said, you don't know me, I don't know you. But I have to do something, so I'm calling you. Please do something about it. I'm making this call. I have to do something. So I want to read to you. This is not... This, this Nikud does much more about our own children than it is about people who already have it. People already struggle. I can't point to one specific thing, and I don't say every kid who's struggling, this is the reason. But I would say the biggest factor, the biggest factor, bar none, being honest is relationship to parents. I don't say that every single time the relationship is great, and I don't condemn every parent. So anybody who's struggling means the parent, and sometimes it's deep factors and difficult factors. It's not a simple matter, and sometimes a child was difficult in all different circumstances. I still say say the biggest factor, the bar none, is the relationship to parents. The biggest factor, bar none. And I want every single person here, all of us, to be blessed with wonderful children. And I want to better always an ounce of prevention is better than any cures the prevention. And to me, it, it, it's even a pasuk. It says about Hashem that all the diseases I put in Mitzrayim, I won't put on you. I am Hashem, your roifing, your healer, your healer. You said you won't give us the machla, but the greatest healing is to is to is to is prevent. Prevention. The greatest, they're very into, there's a word now doctors are very into, it's called preventative medicine. It's very in style that instead of thinking once somebody's sick had a cure, how do we stop illness? Preventative medicine. All different things done to prevent. All different types of health things, hygiene, all different things, hygiene, all different things they teach that stop illness rather than set, rather than curing illness. Hashem's the rifle, the greatest rifle stops illness. So I want to read to you an article. I beg every single person to listen to this article. Shim, I beg everybody to listen to this article because to me this is the key point. This is the Shai, I beg you to listen to this. This is the key point. And I beg you one day, you're all going to be fathers and husbands. I beg you, Rabbi Sai, to listen to this. This is not asking, so what, what you do now, you have somebody in a bad situation, what do you do? But to me, this is what the greatest prevention that I know of that exists. Please listen to this. This is from Rev Kellerman. In the past, he's a Talmud revolver. In the past, the guys loved his articles. So please listen to this article. During the last 13 years, I've had the privilege of studying an essentially ancient sect of Jews in Yerushalayim who conduct their lives as their ancestors have for thousands of years. These people are single-mindedly committed to the precise, precise preservation of their cultures, insights, and customs, as were their parents and grandparents. Through their eyes, I am gaining a glimpse that Jewish communities from long ago approach life in general, and educational issues in particular. These traditional Jews represent an anthropological goldmine. 
They're, so he's studying Yidin who are very, very true to the Messiah. It sounds like he's studying some group. It sounds like they're probably Yushalmis, the Meisharim. I don't know the exact nature of the group. Rev Kellerman for 13 years is watching some group who's exactly true to the Torah. I will never forget the night when one traditional Jewish scholar spoke about the centrality of love. While it's, it's probably revolved, I don't know for sure. While the student sat beside him, ready to absorb that evening's instruction, their teacher lifted a worn volume of the Torah, opened it and began to read. See that I, Hashem, have placed before you life and good, and death and evil, and I'm commanding you to love. The elderly scholar paused. His eyes closed deep in thought. Then with his eyes still closed, he repeated, I have placed before you life, and I'm commanding you to love. He brought the book close to his eyes, squinted to see the teeny print, and read from the 11th century commentary of the Spanish scholar, the Ibn Ezra. This verse teaches us that life is for love. The Talmudic master closed his eyes again, then he repeated, Life is for love. Every creature has its purpose, and ours is to forge relationship, to create closeness. Today, my colleagues at UCLA and Harvard are catching up with Jerusalem's traditional Jews. Most secular research today believe that children do better when they are raised as if life is for love. Specifically, people in university are beginning to stress the importance of attention and affection, two pillars of the traditional Jewish approach to child-rearing. The first step in loving a child is being sensitive to his needs and attending to them. This is not an easy task. Many new parents are shocked by how difficult it is to sustain sensitivity and attentiveness throughout the day and night. We have no choice, however, since attentiveness and all the love it represents is crucial to our child's development. To be focused and spend time. When we are attentive to a child's needs, we create a sense of security and confidence, what psychologists call attachment, and this provides the internal strength children need to handle stress later in life. When research in New Jersey evaluated attachment levels in one-year-old boys and then followed the children for several years, they found that 40% of the insecurely attached boys showed later signs of psychopathology, compared to only 6% of the securely attached boys. Research, what? They showed all the pathology is like deep, deep illness. They showed deep, deep illness emotional dysfunction, all different type of emotional disorders because they didn't have, there was a higher percentage of the one who didn't have the proper attachment. Research also links self-esteem to attentive parenting. Moreover, not only do attentive parents produce sons and daughters who enjoy greater esteem than other children, this positive self-image persists up to 20 years later. In one study of women raised in Islington, England, investigated found that children raised by more responsive parents were twice as likely to have positive self-image in their adult years as those raised by less responsive parents. Children who feel good about themselves have higher aspirations, do better in school, earn higher salaries when they grow up, and handle stress more effectively than children with low self-esteem. Parents sometimes worry that attentive parenting undermines independence and confidence. The opposite it is true. Children who experience consistent and considerable gratification of needs in the early stage do not become spoiled and independent, explains Dr. Terry Levy. 
they become more independent, self-assured, and confident. Children cry less frequently and for shorter duration after their first nine months when caregivers respond promptly during the child's first nine months. Until the kid learns objective permanence, object permanence, until the kid knows when the kid's under nine months and you leave the room, you are dead. Only what's in front of you exists, what leaves is gone. There's no object permanence. So when you walk away, till nine months, you don't let kids cry. It's not what you're supposed to do. You don't say, let them cry. When you walk out, you don't exist. Conversely, children who do not receive enough attention early on tend to be clingy, suffer from separation anxiety, and respond with panic when pushed to explore the world when left in the hands of an unfamiliar caregiver. Although our children always need our sensitive responses, they especially need them at night. The combination of drowsiness and darkness makes children feel especially vulnerable. We have to make special efforts to be attentive to nighttime distress. The effect of ignoring children's nighttime cries was tragically illustrated during the only modern cultural experiment in which children were voluntarily secluded from their parents during sleeping hours. Beginning in the 1930s, parents living on Israel's secular kibbutzim elected to sleep their children away from home in communal children's facilities. The small staffs of these facilities made it impossible to attend prompt to every cry, but the early pioneers of the kibbutz movement hoped that their children would adjust to the less attentive arrangement. A barrage of studies found that the graduates of kibbutz's children facilities suffered disproportionately. It was unproportionate to a normal society from a range of psychological disorders, all different types of traumas, major depression, psychophren, all different types of low self-esteem, alcohol and drug problems. By 1994, more than half of all children Children from the kibbutzim exhibited symptoms and all different, patholo- all different pathologies associated with in- insecure attachment. Some investigator from the Netherlands said other, he said, um, he, said he, he described the results, it was all bad results. As data poured in revealing the damage that had been done by children's f- sleeping facilities, kibbutz leaders abandoned the experiment. People are attached to the cry it out method for the same reason they are attracted to many other destructive child raising techniques. It's a quick fix. It actually looks like it worked. People let their kids cry. However, intelligent educators take into account the long term effects of every child raising strategy. Ignoring the child's nighttime cries might eventually produce quiet, but it does not cultivate security. Thus, children trained with the cry it out method were found to wake more often throughout the night, sleep less efficiently, and walk around more daytime tiredness than children attended to by their parents. Attentive parenting extends far beyond nighttime care. For example, throughout the day, newborns yearn for eye contact with their caretaker. They naturally focus on objects 7 to 12 inches away, precisely the range needed to see parents' eyes when held in their arms. Infants also respond with pleasure and intense interest when shown a mask of a human face. When the lower part of the mask is covered, infant response remains unchanged. However, when even one eye in the mask is covered, infants exhibit displeasure and lapse into apathy. 
As children mature, they continue to need parental attention. Toddlers thrive when we play with them. Preschoolers experience ecstasy when we read them stories. It does not seem to matter much to our children what we play or what stories we read as long as we are giving them our full attention. Elementary school children need us to listen to them as they retell their day's adventures. And they will often repeat the same stories over and over just to hold our precious attention. They crave our participation in their homework and their play too. If our children learn they can count on us for the attention they so badly need during their early years, they will continue to turn to us throughout teenagehood too. Affection is more than than just attention. Attention just requires being responsive to a child's needs. Affection is the next step. It is a warm and is the most powerful medium we possess for communicating love. We need to make special efforts to infuse this magical ingredient into our interactions. As it happens, Ugandan mothers tend to be more attentive and responsive than many American mothers. Ugandan. He says a whole study. He says he says a whole study that happened. He says he says here. I'm skipping just to get to get, to get we all get to share. He says hugs. Listen to this. Hugs diffuse delinquency. Hugs stop delinquency. So say researchers at the Duke University Medical Center who compared the backgrounds of normal children and delinquents. After control, after controlling for a range of factors, the Duke researchers discovered that parental affection was the active ingredient. They conclude the report noting violent boys were almost twice as likely as matched control subjects to have fathers who never hugged them or expressed verbal affection. Twice as likely. The numbers are not close. They did a study in Duke. They said the fathers who didn't show affection, physical and facial expressions, verbal expressions of love, the kids were twice as likely to have violent, to do violent things. They didn't get physical affection from a father. People at the University of Illinois at Northeastern University report that lack of parental affection is one of the most important predictors of serious and persistent delinquency. Sociologists at the University of Wisconsin and Florida State University reviewing the psychological literature similarly find absence of warmth, affection, or love by parents associated with aggressiveness, delinquency, drug abuse, and serious criminality. Psychologists differ over how warmth cultivates goodness. Some suggest a different shatim, that children are simply more willing to accept the values of parents and teachers when those authority figures are affectionate. Others have a biological mechanism. It develops part of the brain. It actually helps develop part of the brain. He brings this Dr. Hugani, a neurologist at the Children's Hospital of Michigan, revealed in 1998 that children raised in love-deprived environments show evidence of abnormal metabolisms in a specific area of the brain's temporal lobe thought to be involved in social functioning. It was simply, it was able to be shown in the brain by scientists. He brings another group in a British Columbia that also did a study. He said, he said they, did, they did a study of orphanages and described the kids. They could see it in the brain, different brains. 
The basic ingredient of love, attention and affection, might count as the single most important factors in human development. Love is not a luxury. Practically, what all this data means is that we need to pour on lots of attention and affection. And this takes time. More time than most people are not yet parents would ever believe. One American mother who held advanced degrees from Stanford, the University of Southern California, University of California, recently confessed to me. All the academic challenges I face, including writing my doctoral thesis, don't compare to the challenge I face now raising my three children. Often finding time for our children is the most difficult aspect of parenting. I laugh, people ask about a mother, does she work? They said, no, she doesn't work, she's she's at home. She works. That's two full-time jobs. The question should be, does she work at home, or does she not work at home? She works out of the home. That's a full-time job. Looking, he says here, he says, of course, looking after a baby or a toddler is a -a 24-hour-a-day job, seven days a week, and often a very worrying one at that. Even if the load lightens a little as children get older, if they are to flourish, they still require a lot of time and attention. Giving time and attention to children means sacrificing other interests and activities. Yet I believe the evidence what I'm saying is unimpeachable. Study after study attests that healthy, happy, and self-reliant adolescents and young adults are the products of stable homes which both parents give a great deal of time and attention to the children. Long before the first child is born, we must come to terms with the fact that our lives must change dramatically. They must. That we must refocus and that sacrifices must be made. I missed it. Eyes are so cool. Hashem did not have to make eyes. This is straight up for humans enjoyment. Just for our enjoyment. Providing, I just want to hear the conclusion of this. The end of Rabbi say, providing for the emotional needs of our children is not easy. Children need love. They cannot thrive without our attention and affection. If this demands as reshuffling a reshuffling of our lifestyles, it is reshuffling we will never regret. If life is for love, then the ordinary things that ancient Jerusalem Jews stress, like being there to give a hug, really do matter a great deal. This is written by Rev. Lawrence Kellerman, a Talmud of Olba, and this is, this is basic and pashat. What he is saying is obvious and just simply, simply true. And I say, I say to the guys, the greatest change in our lives, getting married and have children changes people. It makes us givers. I don't see how a person without kids can be a giver, but it makes a giver when the person is deeply and emotionally focused on the children, on their needs, on giving attention and affection. I once had a mice, I had a funny mice in yeshiva years ago. About 13 years ago, we had a guy in yeshiva, and he wanted to go to Texas to visit an uncle of his. And his father said no. And the guy was livid. The kid was livid. And I was very, very worried about the kid. Why is he livid? A spoiled brat. 
His father said no to go to Texas. Father said no, he shouldn't go to Texas in the middle of this man. He shouldn't be so spoiled. What was his like big deal? His father said no. And I was very worried about the guy. And I spoke to him for hours. Teenagers often have a difficult time articulating because he didn't know what he was feeling. He was feeling something, but they're not so attuned always. They're not always so precise what they're feeling. But I give credit, like weird. Unless he was some spoiled brow, it's possible that he needs to work on himself. We spoke a long time. It turned out we both discovered he was not upset that he couldn't go to Texas. It's ridiculous. Who is your entitlement to fly anywhere? What really upset him, he was working very hard to learn, and learning was murder for him. His father's a massive Talmud Chacham, who learning is much easier for his nature. It's a big mass smith. I know the father, his nature is a studious guy. This kid was not studious, it was killing himself to learn. He did not care to get a no. It took us hours to figure out. What was upsetting him was, his father said to him when he spoke, man, those are the exact words, man, man. They didn't care, his father said no. He cared how little his father understood his life. He cared how little, like, there was no understand, not, not, and say no without these words. If he understood, I know you're pushing hard. There was a sense, there was no understanding, there was no attention. There was no attention, there was no wow. understanding. Say no. You don't, I, I don't think you should go, but sh- say no with an understanding of my life. There's nothing to do with the no or yes. My father has no idea about my struggles, none. That's lack of attention before you even get to affection. Affection means nothing without attention. There are people who try to make up for lack of attention with affection. It does nothing. You, you can't tell someone, oh, I love you, you're wonderful, and you don't give time. You don't give understanding, you don't understand. Attention, affection, attention. There must be time dedicated, significant time dedicated to it. That's what's necessary. That's what's absolutely necessary. I don't say there's any recipe. Every person has Bechira. And I don't say for a kid struggling there's any easy answer. And I don't say that everything done right doesn't mean Hashem runs the world. I do say this is absolutely mandatory. It's something that we the best thing that ever happened to you. We're born, Rev Dessler has a whole writing, we're born to become dead givers. The greatest giving, I don't want to hear people when you're going to go on Shadokim, people are going to tell you about the girl, she does this, she goes to this chesed out of all that nonsense. What is she to her brothers? I don't want to hear what Chesed, what organization she's part of. Don't listen. Close your ears. It's, not, it's, it's just not important. She does that. It's all fancy to do every organization. What is she to her brothers? What, how does she relate to her mama? Is she giving at home, real, away from the lights? I don't want all the pictures of Chesed, all the Snapchat pictures. Wow. That's, like, that's, like, that's, like, that's like a picture. That's like those type of pictures. She's so big in NCSY. Here, all that. Save that for politics. I like NCSY. I like NCSY. I'm not, this wasn't. I, NCSY is a wonderful. This wasn't. I wasn't talking about NCSY. I might say. I'm talking about. You see politicians with the picture smiling. You know, you see the politician. He's smiling with the shovel in his hands. All that. If you fall for it, I have a bridge to sell you. All that is nonsense. I'm talking about real, authentic, an authentic giver. The main authentic giver gives to his family. It's a Pasuk and Mishlei. Goyim el 
nafshoi. Rashi says nafshoi means mishpachtoi. Somebody who does chesed to his family is chesed, is a man of kindness. You don't do chesed to your family, you're not a man of kindness. Be good to your brother, be good to your sister. Goimel nafsha, a man who's good to his family is a man of kindness. That's kindness. So, Rabbi, that's a Pasuk and Mishle, that's not a stomach claim. One day you're going to have children. The main test of kindness in your life is how you are to your wife and how you are to your children. Both need attention and affection. Focus, focus in. They have guys they're going to date soon. I'm not letting anybody date till I'm convinced those two things. I will do everything to stop every shidduch till I'm convinced those two things are there. I hope people should go out young. But you need those two things, the capacity to give attention and affection. Really be, be attuned to somebody's needs. To be sensitive to it and attuned, guessing, predicting, everybody's needs are different. And your wife, I can't stand when people compare. There was a Yid Rabbi say, I don't know if I can explain, I hope the Siyadish can explain this well enough. By Hasid, the Mechassan and Kala don't talk to each other. There was a Yid who was from the greatest Sadiqim in the world in the last 100 years. I'm not claiming, the Satma Rebbe said it. There was a Yid Rev Kramer. To describe his Sidkus will take me hours. He had no children. Him and his wife, Dr. Mengel Yemach Shemoy V'Zichroi La'adu L'Neitzach Metzachim, damaged his wife that she was incapable of having children. And they couldn't have kids. They raised 25 kids who were completely deranged. People would taxi over children to the house and leave them by them. 25 kids, they ranged. Their own parents couldn't look at these children. They were so physically sick and mentally sick and just really crazy people that him and his wife raised 25 such children they, none of them really lived to old age most of them died 20, 25 they were kids who had all different tremendous sicknesses they raised, I believe the number was 25 such children so right, Kramer was a tzaddik like you can't believe he was a chsidish yid big pays, a chsidish yid he was a satmer chassid the satmer Rebbe said he was a tzaddik ador it's the biggest tzaddik in the generation. He was a remarkable human being, this Rabbi Kramer. He lived in Eretz Yisrael. He had a yeshiva of a chassidish kid and secular kids in one school. Wow. A fascinating yid, an Evan Hashem fire. Rev Kramer was engaged to his wife after the Holocaust. His wife had lost her family. By Hasidim, the Chosn and Kala don't speak. I don't, I don't know if you understand by Hasidim what Misayra and Minak means. What Ashes Ish means to us, that's what it means to the Hasidim that are fire. Minag is like all of Hasidus is built on Misayra, Minag, keeping exactly the way the Tatat Ketan, the way the Father did, their whole dress, their whole speech, the way the Father did. This is an ardent Chassid, a fiery chassid. Everything by chassidim, the chassan and kala don't see each other. That's like fierce. There's it's one of the tzaddiki ador who's a satmer chassid, huge. Do you know all the time he would get together with his wife while they were engaged, breaking chassidic, chassidic tradition, buying her stuff. It's like unheard of by chassidim. There was a monkacher rebbe who the chassidim say he went off the derech because he put on a watch. I kid you not. There's a Munkatcha Rebbe, he's very controversial. The previous one, he put on a watch. The, the fathers didn't do that. By Hasidim, Messiah is like, so it's a whole like tumult by Hasidim, the Rebbe put on a watch. 
And this Sadik used to get together with this Kala and buy her gifts. Why? She was a Holocaust survivor. Her need, she, has to, she lost a lot. He needed to be attentive to her needs. It's different by this Kala. I don't like when people say rules in marriage. One guy, everybody's different. I once was at a shear of my at a speech of my father's this community, and he was in a fiery way. Was trying to push more limudat Torah. Talmud Torah can I get cool up? The greatest mitzvah in the Torah in the world is Torah, and he was trying in a fiery way to get his balabatim to learn more Torah. And he was speaking, my father, and he was speaking about coming to more shiurim. He was saying more shiurim and pushing them to come to shiur. My father's very blunt and honest, and he was pushing the Balabatim to go to more Torah. He says in this speech, but one thing, he gives like a caveat, if your wife doesn't want you to come to the Shia, I don't want to see you. He's, I was like, Abba, why do you do that? You're trying to get them to come to Shia. He said, if your wife doesn't want you in the Shia, stay home with her. Unbelievable. This whole speech, I said, what are you doing? Like, you're giving an excuse. He wanted to make sure that it's not at the cost of a person's wife. They have to make sure, with, with, in smart ways, their wives are with the program and part of things. It's hard to take notes. And whatever the job is, nobody should say, but others don't. It's nothing to do with what others. What you have to do, you do. To be attentive, to be sensitive to your wife and children. In the line, in the words of the Gemara Chulin, Chayeyem Tluyen Alecha, their lives are dependent on you. You don't compare notes, but this one doesn't, but that. I thought it's all out the window. It makes no difference. What your Chiyuvim are is it's a Chiyuv Daraisa. In marriage, Ainasa means her emotional needs are your obligation. So I didn't realize. Then, then, you're, then you're missing the boat. You figure it out. Her emotional needs are your obligation. But she needs it. Whatever she needs, so you figure it out. It's the best thing that ever happened to you that you are obligated to come out of yourself to be attentive. And, you see, and some people struggle with that. To be sensitive to another person's emotional needs. There are people who are better than this. And there's something called an EQ. Very inward today. There's IQ and EQ. IQ is intelligent. There are people whose IQ is high and their EQ, they are idiots. Their IQ is, they're brilliant, they're geniuses. But an EQ, an emotional intelligence, they're nothing. They're not sensitive to somebody's emotions. They miss the boat. They don't know how to be attuned. You should practice at your ages. To a roommate, what's his needs? Not, to be, I don't know. Uh, try to be sensitive. What's the most, with your chavrusa? People drop chavrusa. He's not good for me. Stop worrying if he's good for you. You'll be good for him. He needs you a little slower, a little this, a little that. He needs to read. Focus on what his needs are. EQ. Learn to be sensitive. Chavrusa is very good to have. Excellent practice. Be a guy who holds a chavrusa for years. It's not so easy. The guy, this aspect, that aspect. So, okay, so bend yourself. Work on yourself to be a better, to be more attentive and sensitive. To have a better EQ. The bottom line is, Rabbi say that our absolute chiv in a wife and children, a lashon and chulin, is chayeyem tluyin alecha. Both attention and affection. It needs time. Full focus. I want, to, I want to share with you one of the Kenyane Atayrim. There are 48 Kenyane Atayrim. Many Yidin and Klal Yisrael work in this season, the 49 days from Pesach to Shavuos, on the 48 Kenyane Atayrim. Then one day is to review all 48. The Kenyane Atayrim, one of them, 
one of the 48 Aryeh, the sixth parakel of Abbas, Kedai to learn all of them, the Eon Rav. should focus on them always, especially at this season. These are absolute essentials to, become, to learn Torah. One of the Kenyani at Torah is Shmias Eisen. Hearing with your ears, being a good listener. Now, yes, you Akasha, did you ever listen with your toes? Did you ever listen with your nose? Why does the Mishnah say Shmias Eisen? Being a, an ear listener? Do you know a guy? You know, you know, there's something called by breathing. They're nose breathers and mouth breathers. You know, a guy's a mouth breather. I'm a mouth breather. There are people that are mouth breathers. It's very hard when you add a breath to give a shear. If you're a mouth breather, people are nose breathers. So are there like mouth listeners? It says Shmias Oizen, one of the 48 Kenyani is to be an ear listener. Does anybody have a shot what an ear listener is? Could you explain to me another type of listener? Listening with your eyes. You're listening. Don't listen. With your eyes. What's a Shmias Oizen? What does it mean to listen with your eyes? Just pick up on everything and, and just like observe the situation. It's talking about you're supposed to be an ear listener. The smartest man who ever lived, Shloyma Melech says that the desire of a fool, he doesn't want wisdom, he just wants to say his opinion. He listens with his mouth. Uh, Everything he hears is to say, to jump in. I is listening to hear. He's not listening to see. It's, it's a person who's capable of really listening, of really hearing. That's one of the 48 kinyanim necessary for Torah. You cannot be a Torah person if you're not an ears listener. To our wife and children, we have to have that to be an ear listener, hear well, hear well. In, in the words of a wise person, yes, Aslam, what are you saying? In the words of a very wise guy, and this is just, it's a Mishnah that beat him to it, Lahavdil. In the word of a wise guy, aim to understand before being understood. Everybody wants to tell me them to understand them, understand what I'm saying. Forget what you're saying. Aim to understand him. Forget what you're saying. Uh, Yitz is very profound and he's sensitive. I, I, I don't know He told me of her like this. Yitz smart person. But he he, he told. I, I can't say it over now because guys will figure it out. He once told me an observation like this, where somebody was nechshal. This aim to understand before you aim to be understood. I want to explain to her. I just. Want to, stop trying to explain to her, understand her. Stop trying to explain. People always are trying to explain to their children this and explain to their children. I always tell my kids this. and always, All failed parents are always telling their kids this and telling their kids that. I always tell, I don't tell my kids that, I listen to them. Stop telling your kids so much. I always tell my kids all the time. You know why you don't listen? Because you're always telling them this and telling them that. Understand them. Understand them. If you understand them, you'll find you don't have to tell them much. They'll actually follow what you do. If you understand them, they'll follow what you do. You hear me? People always, I always tell my kids all the time. I always, in failed parents, that's like the common thing. I'm always telling my kids. I'm always telling my kids. Okay, keep telling your kids. Enjoy. You're, you're just wasting your time because you're always telling your kids. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So this is, from kids' angles, Rabbi, say you're better on, listen to your parents. 
I'm not talking to you as children. You better listen to everything your parents say. Your father gives long-winded drushes. You listen to the old thing. Keep it up. But I'm talking to you one day as parents. One day as parents, seek to understand. Try to understand. If you understand, you'll be understood. If you don't understand, you if that father would have understood his kid's struggles, he wouldn't have given a flippin' hoot not to go to text. Not much yeah. But his father didn't understand, so his father wasn't understood. So, Rabbi Sai, this is... This is this article. I have to share it with the guys now because seeing people struggle and struggle seriously is a tremendous sadness and tremendous danger, unbelievable danger. And to me, this averts that danger to a large, large degree. If there's sensitivity, if there's focus, real, and, and it, it won't be easy. Every guy noddingly says, Rabbi say, everybody nods, says, I'm going to do that. If you don't work on yourself now, bunch of baloney, you won't do it. Lord. Anybody who says, every guy says, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If you don't work hard on yourself now, if you're a guy you can't fight to get up chakras, don't tell me you're going to do it. Just don't, don't tell me. If you're not a fighter on every area of Ruchnius, it's not going to be different than the battle to get up the chakras. Guys, I'm sorry to say this. Every guy can shake their head and say, yeah, every guy can shake their head, yeah, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. It's going to be hard. If you don't win the victories, so if you can't not look at a bad site on your cell phone, you aren't going to pass this. I'm sorry to say, I feel badly. Because it sounds easy, it's hard. It's, not, it's easy at this table to do it. So I said, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Parents, the, the parents of the ones struggling also said, I'm going to do it. But it's hard. And if you don't train yourself to do hard things, then you can't do that hard thing. So it's not just, it's not like that. One got to build up muscles of doing what's true. If I can't hold myself back from something on my phone, so then what makes you have the strength to do this? You have to build strength, discipline, strength to do hard things. Then you could do this. When I say hard, it's the most joyous thing on the world. You're becoming a giver. You're coming out of yourself. It's delicious. Shani la'atzmi, another mission in this week's parak. Shani la'atzmi ma'ani. If I'm only to myself, I remain a ma. What am I? Nothing. A small person. You want to become large. I always say it's a yeshiva of gedolim. We're a yeshiva that produces gedolim. A gadol means expansive. It means when I live for others. A katan is just about himself. Shani la'atzmi mani. What am I? But if you really want this, it's easy to say I'm going to do it. It's easy to say I'm going to do it. But if you really want it, you got to do hard things and develop strength. Develop real strength on battles, on practical battles. To just, just daydream. Every person daydreams what they're going to be and do. Unless you practically develop strength, the person can't do it. So at our ages, in our battles, fight like this. Develop muscles of doing what's right. And then you'll say on this battle as well, I'll have the muscles yeah. to really fight the tide. The tide is not to do this. To not be attentive, to not be affectionate, that's the tide. 
If a person wants to have that gevura and he fights the battles of today, then it's trusted that the, those battles of tomorrow he has muscles already for. We must develop muscles by fighting the fights of today. Develop muscles, the muscles of doing what's right, of doing what's true. Then a guy learns about this and he already has the muscles in place to do what's right and true. Attention and affection that must, must be there. We should all be zaycha, all of us, taka, to raise wonderful children that follow in the ways of Hashem. Okay. Let's get to the Marish here. Wait, I just said, I don't want to do the Marish here. There's a wonderful Hashtag, Chalamoid, 2K30 with the boys and the fans.